You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to Sweden in Focus, the local's weekly news podcast. We're recording on Thursday the 23rd of March and in this week's episode we're going to talk about why the Swedish state may soon find itself in court over its alleged climate inaction. We'll discuss Swedish gangster rap and how close some of its most successful practitioners are to the gang violence they depict. We'll give you some background on Chris O'Neill, the British-American husband of Princess Madeleine as the couple prepare to move back to Sweden. We will have an interview with the United States ambassador to Sweden. And finally, we'll look at the state of the Swedish property market and why foreigners are busy snapping up summer houses. I'm Paul O'Mahony and with me in Stockholm today is James Savage and we are joined in the Malmö studio by Richard Orange and Becky Waterton. Hello, everybody. Hello. 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 There's something big happening this weekend, isn't there? Time is expanding. Oh, yes. We will have a 25-hour day. Time exactly. Is, well, the universe is always expanding. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so we're at the confluence of time and space uh, this weekend. I don't know. I'm just talking complete <laughs> nonsense now. <laughs> cut, the cut. clocks are changing. <laughs> so if you're listening on Saturday, uh, the clocks are going forward an hour. And that happens at 2 a.m. on Sunday morning. And we're officially going to be on what Sweden calls summertime. So the weather on Sunday morning is going to be glorious and sunny and warm and sunbathing. Well, my weather app says that temperatures are dropping back below zero here in Stockholm (laughs) next week. But no matter, at least the evenings will be longer. It's going to be seven degrees in Malmö on uh, Sunday. So almost tropical. Speaking of the weather and climate, uh, let's get on to today's stories and we'll start with the news that a district court has said that it will hear a case brought against Sweden by hundreds of young climate activists. Becky, what can you tell us about this case? Who's behind it and what are they arguing? So the lawsuit was originally filed in November last year by an organisation called Aurora, which, as you said, is hundreds of Swedish children and young people, including climate activist Greta Thunberg. And three seven-year-olds, although I don't know if they're still seven. This was in 2022. One of the people behind the case, who is this law student called Ida Erling, told the newspaper Dagens Nyheter that their argument for the court case is essentially that if the state's climate measures are lacking, then they're threatening their human rights in the future. And they believe that this is a legal responsibility which the state can be called to account for. They're also arguing that Sweden needs to do its fair share of the global work to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius compared to pre-industrial levels. And similar cases have actually been 
brought before courts in Germany and in the Netherlands, and the activists in those cases both won and kind of forced the governments of the countries to sharpen their climate goals. So it'd be interesting to see what happens here. There's kind of a precedent in other countries that they could be successful. So the NACA district court, which is the court which they submitted the case to, has said that the state has three months to respond to the lawsuit. And depending on the pleas and positions of both parties, the case could either be taken to trial or handled through written procedure. So we'll have to see how that develops. Right. And how has the government responded to the news that a court's going to take this case? Climate Minister Romina Pomaktori has responded kind of vaguely, just saying like she shares Aurora's concern for the climate. The government is working on kind of effective and ambitious climate and environmental policy to meet the challenges that we are facing mentioning kind of net zero emissions targets by 2045. But she didn't specifically comment the lawsuit or the legal process, kind of just saying, oh, that's for the courts to decide. So she's commented on the climate, but not really gone into any details on the, on the case or her opinions on the case. OK, the well, she'll, she'll get plenty of time to address the government's climate policy next week, because next Wednesday, the Swedish Climate Policy Council is releasing its annual report, analysing government policy and making recommendations. And we'll cover that as it happens. Thanks for filling us in on all that, Becky. And let's move on now to gangster rap. A few weeks ago, we had the crime reporter Diamant Salihu in the studio talking about the roots of the recent gang violence in Sweden. And one thing we spoke about was Swedish gangster rap and how closely connected some of the rappers are to the recent wave of deadly gang violence. And Richard, you've written an article on this. Can you tell us a bit about what you found? And first of all, who are these rappers and how popular are they? They are enormously popular. I mean, the time it hit me was a few years back when there's a 12-year-old or 11-year-old I know, and he was obsessed with Einar, who's the, um, who was tragically killed, murdered at the end of 2021. But he was obsessed with him. And he knew all of his songs absolutely by heart. And also, not only that, through Einar, he also knew everything there was to know about this gang conflict between the Dirds Patrolen and Shotas, which is the subject of Diamant Sahalihu's book. So I would say tens and hundreds of thousands of pre-teens and teenage boys in Sweden were following this in mm. you know extreme detail through the music so yeah. so they're huge and and in terms of streaming Einar was the most streamed artist on Spotify of anyone in both 2021 and 2022 after he died. In Sweden. In Sweden, in yeah. Sweden that is. Only in Sweden, obviously. He's nowhere on the global... On, he's not <laughs> challenging Ed Sheeran. And then, and, then in, in, and then in 2020, the most streamed artist was Drilo, who's another gangster rapper from Husby. And then Yassin, who's come out with a new album last month. He was number five in 2020. And at one point in 2018, Yassin had four songs in the Spotify top 50 in Sweden, including the number one, at the same time as he was in prison <laughs> for mm. suspected murder. So they're hugely popular, uh, really influential, and people kind of people really live the gang crime story through them. Oh, really interesting. You write in the article about how they portray this gang violence that's rocked Sweden in recent years, but to what extent are the rappers themselves involved, and what have been some of the consequences for them? Well, I mean, I counted that six rappers in Sweden have been murdered including Einar, you know, over the last 10 years or so. Mm. But most of them aren't... Einar is the only one who's like a star. The rest of them, they kind of 
were rappers, but really a lot of them were sort of more probably more criminals than rappers. But almost all of the the real stars like Yasin, Drilo, Jaffa Bean, who's Yasin's kind of best friend, and then also One Cuz and Zed Ear, they've all been in jail multiple times or, or one time. But to what extent they are part of the conflict that they rap about when you look at the Rinkaby conflict is a little bit unclear. I mean, I, they rap about it. They know the people, but I'm not yeah. sure they're the people putting the triggers. I don't think, although they're often being caught with guns. So Yassin's been caught with a gun and went to prison for that. And Drilo was then caught with a gun more recently and went to prison. And, and what Drilo said in the court case, he goes, I've, I'm earning so much money from my streaming that I am a target. And they go, well, can't you trust the police to look after you? And he was just like, <laughs> no, mm. I can't. I mean, I, I need to have some kind of insurance, but I, I don't know if anyone believes that. But they, 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 they were all sort of trying to, I mean, Drilo pulled all of his music off Spotify and said he sort of left the whole world of gangster rap and crime and everything. And Yassine has moved out of the country and is now living somewhere in Europe, I think Belgium, but I'm not sure. But in an interview, he was saying he was basically living in a sort of little suburban housing estate. But he has a child now, doesn't he? And he has a child as well. So I think the peak the peak was a couple of years ago. The Rinkeby conflict has kind of calmed down. It's not really happening anymore. So maybe now right. it's it's kind of past its peak. But it's, it's a really interesting, I, f- I find it a really interesting cultural phenomenon. And also there's obviously that the big question is, to what extent are they fueling this? And I think definitely the fact that, you know, the top streaming hits on Spotify was rapping about the people who were committing these crimes in this gang conflict kind of raised the stakes for the participants because they were kind of folk heroes at the same time as they were on the run from the police. I think Diamant touched on that a little bit as well, didn't he? He said like it becomes difficult for them to extricate themselves from the situation if they're being written about. Exactly, exactly. I think that, that that's definitely true. But having said that, as Diamant said in his book and when he when he was on here the other day, the real reason for the violence is not the gangster app. The, 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 the reason behind it is, you know, in his telling, the Swedish state kind of withdrew entirely from Rinkeby after fusing it with the nearby Schista. Everything shut down and that sort of changed the feeling and created this feeling of exclusion. And also just the sheer amount of money that is being used in drugs, that, that's coming in from drugs. So even though we talk about this as a kind of personal conflict, the, the Rinkeby conflict, the Dirt's Patrol versus Schottas is always described as personal conflict. There's also a bit in Diamant Salihu's book when the big cannabis importer and cocaine importer who's bringing stuff into the south of Sweden is meeting the same people who are part of the Dodds Patrol. And so it may have been as much about control about drugs than about this story of a sort of childhood friends who fell out with each other, which is the sort of the media story that you read about. Okay, thanks for that roundup, Richard. And we'll put the link to your article in the notes. Now, Sweden's Princess Madeleine is moving back to Sweden in August this year with her husband Chris O'Neill and their three children after spending the last five years in Florida. And with a name like Chris O'Neill, it sounds to me like this is maybe a random Irish guy who somehow ended up in Sweden, met a Swedish princess, opened a new chapter in his life. Could have been me, really. <laughs> but it, 
is that in <laughs> any way basically your story is my story is that in any way close to reality who is chris o'neill well he's not irish for a start <laughs> i mean apart from in a sort of very very distant uh, way like lots of americans mm. had some irish ancestor but his father was american paul o'neill but he is a british and american citizen born in london his father was a very successful banker mm. um his mother um is austrian he grew up all over the place in austria switzerland germany and in the UK. And in the UK, I mean, just to illustrate kind of what sort of family he's from, he grew up on Eaton Square, which if anyone who knows London is the best address in London, basically. Right. It's where dukes live. It's where sort of Arab princes live. It's mm. it's 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 really super, super, super um, plutocratic. Right. And he is kind of super, super, super plutocratic. He met Princess Madeline, um, the third child of King Gogosov and Queen Sylvia, and they got married in a huge televised wedding in 2013. He turned down a title, not least because I think of the impact it would have on his career, but also because of what it would do with his... Um, he'd probably have to give up his, his, his other citizenships as well and become a Swedish citizen, so that, that wasn't on the table. He tried as best he can to maintain what was a very successful career in finance. Before he met Princess Madeline, he worked at um, banks like Rothschild and a few other places. But he ended up having to give up his job as a fund manager after marrying Princess Madeline, just too many conflicts of interest. So for the last few years, he's been working on his own company, which is a, a fairly kind of anonymous payment services provider based in Miami. And that's where the couple have been living. So comes from money, has had a very successful career of his own presumably made quite a lot of money. Yeah. But we also know a little bit about what he thinks about things. He, We know he doesn't like Donald Trump and he wasn't very keen on Brexit. And so he's, he's uh, you know, being semi-detached from the royal family, he's been able to sometimes make his views on these kinds of things known. Okay. So that's Chris. Interesting. And what's their plan now? What are they going to do when they move back to Sweden? Well, that's a really interesting question. So what we don't know really is what Chris is going to do with his career. Presumably, he's going to keep on working. I, I can't see it like being likely that he's going to become a, you know, a working royal and go around cutting ribbons. I don't think the royals want to expand the royal family that far anyway. And it doesn't sound like it would be his cup of tea. We know where they're going to be living, though, which is in the Royal Mews or the Royal Stables in Östermalm, which is um, not quite as uh, shabby as it sounds. It's um, a very nice, nicely appointed building in the middle of Östermalm the fanciest part of Stockholm, which is owned by the royal family, and they've got some nice apartments there. Okay, I was I was kind of picturing Bethlehem there. Yeah, it's, 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 like, yeah, it's not the the cattle won't be braying, and the um yeah, no donkeys or anything, as far as I know. So it should be fairly decent surroundings, fit for a princess. You know what Princess Madeline will do. Also unclear. She hasn't really been carrying out any royal duties while on the other side of the Atlantic, apart from very occasionally. She's been working slightly anonymously for Childhood, which is a foundation founded by Queen Sylvia. Um, so we don't know what she'll do when she returns, but possibly perhaps she'll start going back to doing some royal duties. And we've just got to assume that Chris will keep on working in some capacity. Okay. And Becky wrote a really good article that we linked to in the notes about the bureaucratic obstacles Chris O'Neill might face, given that he's not an EU citizen. Do we know anything about this side of things? Does he have a residence permit sorted? Well, uh, we don't know. The Royal Court hasn't said anything about um, this. You sort of, you sort of got the almost got the feeling when the, when the announcement was made that they hadn't really considered it. I don't know. Maybe they've sorted it out behind the scenes and it's all and it's all fixed already. But what we do know is that the Migration Minister Maria Malmestinagard said that he will have to follow the normal rules like everybody else. There's no fast track for members of the royal family or or husbands of members of the royal 
royal family. So, so yeah, he, you know, it's quite possible, as, as Becky wrote in her article, that he might have to spend some months separated from yeah. his wife and children, um, you know, living in America or Britain while he waits for his permit to be approved. So we'll see. If I can just hop in here, one thing I thought was really interesting about this whole story kind of hitting Swedish Twitter in particular is there were so many Swedes who just did not have a concept of Swedish immigration law. So many people who were just like, oh, but he's like a self-sufficient man. Who's, he's a self-sufficient European. You know, he's been married to a Swede for 10 years. He's got three Swedish citizen children. I was like, surely he can move over. It's like, no, there is no route for non-EU people who are self-sufficient to move over. Actually, yeah. his wife needs to prove that she can support the entire family. So he can earn, it doesn't matter how much he earns, she's the one that everything sits on. And just explaining this to people that were just completely like, oh, but he's from the UK. Surely he can move over. Like, no, no. No. That's that. No, <laughs> that's not how it works. Absolutely. So I think true. it's been a real eye opener for a lot of people who are just like, what? Why is this so hard? Yeah. Like, welcome th- to our lives. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And, 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 you know, I think this is Sweden is very unusual in that respect internationally by making it just as hard for self-sufficient people to move over as, as it is for people who are going to look for work or whatever. So it's, it's incredibly difficult. And yeah, it's going to be tough for him too. Sure, he will have the right advice. He will he will get there in the end. Princess Madeline, I'm sure, will be able to prove that she will be able to support him to the level that is necessary. And so he will find a way in. But it's it's going to be bureaucratic and boring and take some time. Yeah, he definitely qualifies for a permit. But if he has to wait like everyone else, then he'll be waiting probably a year. Yeah, it wouldn't be completely unbelievable that he'd be waiting for a year. But then they might have just applied. They might have already applied a year ago, in which case. But um, if, it, if it serves to highlight the absolute shit show that is the um, (laughs) Swedish Migration Agency, then good. Agreed. Great. Thanks for that. And Chris, if you're listening, please don't hesitate to drop us a line at news at the local.se if you'd like to come on the podcast and talk about your experience of moving to Sweden. And marrying a Swede. And marrying a Swede. (laughs) (laughs) Looking forward to having you, Chris. Yeah, we definitely don't have enough Brits married to Swedes on this podcast. (laughs) He qualifies as an American as well, although his accent is British. That was kind of a fun thing to to discover at the wedding when he stood up, because all the Swedish papers have been describing him as this American that that Madeleine is marrying. Then he stands up and in a very plummy British accent starts delivering his speech and everyone's like, oh, I thought he was American. (laughs) Oh, no, clearly not. More British than American, at least by by accent. Brilliant. Thanks for that. And it's time now for the last interview in our current Ambassador series. And this week, we are going to listen to a chat I had recently with the US Ambassador, Eric Ramanathan, about the country's bilateral relationship. But first, here's how he answered when I asked if there was anything that surprised him when he moved to Sweden. Well, I had been coming here for almost 35 years, oh, really? so in some ways, uh, I first you know, came here as a college backpacker, uh, staying on the floating youth hostel off Schopmann here in, uh, uh, in Stockholm, made friends and came back, visited them over the years. So in some ways, uh, you know, there's many parts of Swedish life that aren't surprising at all, because I, I, I've had that connection to Swedish culture. But um, I'd say, you know, the part within, you know, now that I've taken up this position and this job is that uh, I'm always impressed by just just how engaged and candid people are. Mm-hmm. And that's from the woman on the street, if you will, all the way to, uh, you know, ministers and parliamentarians and others. Uh, people are very, very engaged. They really work to keep themselves kind of up to date and engaged in communities and in kind of the issues of the day yeah. and are very, you know, willing to share their candid assessment or their kind of thoughts about things and jump right into a dialogue where mm-hmm. we, it, it helps as a diplomat enormously. 
And when people get in touch with the embassy, what sort of questions do they generally have for you? Well, often, often they're, you know, obviously American citizen services are a big part of what we do yeah. uh, in our, our consular affairs. So we're working to you know, take care of passport renewals and uh, uh, issuance. Yeah. Uh, we're working, you know, register births, these sort of things. Uh, so that's that's all a, a big a big part of people's needs. Mm. Um, but people are interested in trade and uh, issues, how to, uh, you know, help advance the green transition. We work with businesses. There's over right. 1,200 American companies here in Sweden. There's uh, over 1,100 Swedish companies in the U.S. So there's a lot of people with different business connections and business interests and uh, sure. uh, trying to figure out how to take our relationship to the next level. Altogether, the, the foreign direct investment uh, between... Uh, Sweden in the U.S. is mm. uh, higher than it's it's uh, ever been. Uh, it's uh, over thirty million dollars, uh, and um, uh, and that's the thirteenth largest foreign mm. direct investor in the U.S. I think it's fair to say that you know, Sweden and the U.S. have a have a strong relationship. Can you tell us a little bit about the the history of the bilateral relations between the countries? Absolutely. Um, you know, so uh, yes, Sweden is among our historically the, the longest standing partners. Uh, it's been nearly 400 years uh, of uh, uh, relations between the U.S. and Sweden. Almost four million Americans trace their lineage to yeah. uh, to Sweden. Um, so it's you know it's a very deep and long standing relationship, and it's been a, a friendship for you know all these these many years, and that extends from economic ties, yeah. uh, but it's also our deep, we have a deep security relationship. Yeah. We work on a lot of multinational issues. Sweden has a, uh, like the U.S., has a you know, strong voice, a lot of diplomatic heft, moral authority mm-hmm. uh, that uh, you know has us often working together on uh, situations around the world, uh, on helping others, um, and, and the like. You mentioned the security relationship there, and Sweden is obviously waiting for its NATO application to be approved, and that process has stalled indefinitely. And Sweden doesn't yet qualify for NATO Article 5 protection. To what extent can Sweden rely on U.S. support in the unlikely event of a military attack? We're well positioned to to help Sweden, along with our, the rest of the, our allies, um, to help Sweden out during this period. We've committed to remaining vigilant on threats to our shared security yeah. um, and uh, to push back against uh, any uh, deter and uh, uh, respond to any aggression mm. uh, that we've seen. You know, all the time we're doing military exercises together in the region, and uh, you know have really look to continue that. We have, we have interoperable militaries. We have yeah. Sweden's already uh, an invitee at NATO, so we're working together in many contexts already within the NATO framework as well. You have just been listening to United States Ambassador to Sweden, Eric Romanathan, and we will have more from that interview in an article on the site in the next few days. So watch out for that. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. 
BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Now on to the turbulent economic situation now, and we'll talk about the property market in a moment. But first, a quick recap of what's been happening over the past few days with record high food prices. Now, the government has come under increasing pressure to take action, and Finance Minister Elisabeth Svantesson met this week with the heads of Sweden's big three supermarket owners, Ica, Axfood and Coop. And after the meeting, she said she had high hopes that prices would begin to drop again soon, but stopped short of calling for a price cap on food staples, as France has done, for example. And budget retailer Lidl, meanwhile, saw an opportunity to seize some market share and has said that it will lower and freeze prices on more than 100 items starting on Monday. And households will doubtless be hoping that the other chains follow suit. And while high food prices reflect one effect of high inflation, another development people in Sweden are watching closely is what's happening with interest rates. And one of the main banks, Handelsbanken, has a new property forecast that came out this week. Becky, what are they saying is going to happen in the coming months? I mean, as usual, it's bad news, (laughs) I'm afraid. To put it simply, they're saying that property prices are going to keep decreasing with a total predicted drop of around 20% since the peak in spring 2021. I think previous estimations have been like 17, 18% since the peak in spring 2021. And this is partly due to rising interest rates, which are making the monthly price of owning a property higher, which means people don't want to pay as much money for it for a property. So Handelsbanken also predicted that the central bank would raise key interest rates by 0.75 percentage points in April and then another 0.5 percentage points in June to a total of 4.75%, which in turn could push up the average mortgage interest rate to over 5% by the end of the year. Since this report came out um, and things are moving very quickly on this story, the Fed in the US announced that they were raising interest rates by 0.25. Is that going to have any impact, do we think? It could do. There are lots of factors playing in here. Obviously, you know, the fact is that, um, you know, Sweden's uh, weak currency is perhaps becoming a bit of a problem now and raising interest rates helps there. So, you know, but but it clearly what happens in America affects how the Swedish Riksbank Bank is thinking. Yeah, I was watching the Swedish news last night and um, SVT's economic commentator was saying how the time between now and April is an ocean of time, given mm-hmm. how much things are are changing at the moment. And, you know, certainly if we see things like further um, problems in the banking sector, yeah. uh, then, it was, then it's obviously going to impact both how the Swedish uh, central bank is thinking and how the European central bank is thinking, because what they don't want to do... Um, they don't want to let inflation gallop away, but they also don't want to put banks under such pressure that we have a an, a full-blown banking crisis. So balancing these factors is a very, very tricky task for the central banks. I mean, this is the thing. This is all a prediction. If interest rates are raised in April 
uh, key interest rates are raised in April by 0.75 percentage points, then that would affect homeowners in Sweden very quickly because most Swedish homeowners have variable rate mortgages, which is where the interest is updated every three months. And then one third of all mortgages in Sweden are due for a rate renewal within a year, which means even if key interest rates only go up by 0.5 percentage points in April, that's still going to kind of impact people quite quickly. And then Christina Neumann, who is the chief economic, the chief economist at Handelsbanken, who was one of the people behind this report, she was saying that the amount which households are able to borrow has also decreased. So if you're a family with two adults on a kind of an average salary with two children, you'd have to borrow around 14% less than last year if you wanted to have the same kind of wiggle room in your budget calculations for 2023. So like you've lost like 14% on the value of a house if you want to have the same budget as you did last year, which I think was something that was a bit of an eye opener for me. All these things are linked, aren't they? So, yeah. so the, what the banks, what the banks do when they when 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 they um, when they meet you is they look at you and they say, well, you can borrow this much because we see that from with your salary you'll be able to afford this much every month. Now, if interest rates go up, um, then uh, th- then you know that that means that you can borrow less because the interest on that loan is going to is going to be greater. Yeah. So so you know the the two things what the one inevitably leads to the other. Yeah. When when we bought our apartment in August last year, I think they checked to make sure that we could afford interest rates of maybe six, seven percent, maybe eight percent. And I wouldn't be surprised now if they were looking at like 10 or 11 percent. They look at the worst case scenario. Would you be able to afford it if your interest rates went up this much? And, you know, when we were buying six or seven percent was a little bit like, OK, that won't happen, but we'll check anyway. And now it's a bit like, OK, you know, maybe it could happen. Maybe we'll check a little bit higher. We've talked before on the podcast about the weak krona and one of the knock on effects of the Swedish currency's weakness relative to other currencies like the euro is that foreigners are snapping up bargain holiday homes in the Swedish countryside. What can you tell us about this, James? Who are these foreign buyers and where are they buying? Well, yeah, I mean, this is obviously if you have a full bank account in euros or dollars Mm. and buying a place in Sweden is something you want to do long term, then there couldn't be a better time. Obviously, if you have to borrow, then there, 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 there are other issues at play like there are for people in Sweden. Sure. But for people with ca- for cash buyers, it's a, it's a super, super good time. And so what we're seeing particularly naturally is that people coming from countries that are close to Sweden, so Danes, Germans, Dutch and, and, and even Swiss, are snapping up houses, particularly in the south of Sweden. Now, houses in rural Sweden have long been pretty cheap. And now, if you're sitting there with your with money in euros or in Swiss francs or in Danish krona, which is linked to the euro, then your 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 purchasing power in southern Sweden is pretty strong. Also true if your if if your money's in dollars, although it's a little further to come. So we've actually seen quite a long term trend of more of more people trying to buy houses um, or more more people from these countries buying houses in southern Sweden. I think you know even you know during the pandemic there were sort of people saying oh well you know we can work remotely so having a house in southern Sweden suddenly becomes a an attractive proposition. Even before that, we you know we saw that summer houses were um, were, bit, were popular among Dutch people and, and Germans even then. But now there's this added bonus that many people can work from them over over a longer period of time uh, remotely from their employer. 
areas. So what we're seeing is that different areas are sort of popular with different nationalities, but we're seeing particularly, so say, Germans favouring areas like Krone Bay, which is in, in small land, uh, it's a rural, rural small land. Historically, Dutch people have often uh, gravitated towards uh, Vermland. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, but, but generally, you know, these places in southern and western Sweden are quite accessible to the continent. We actually did an article on the website this week looking at, I think it was seven homes you can buy in Sweden for under a million kroner, which is, I think, 90,000 euros. There's loads out there. So if it's something you're considering doing, this is the time to strike. Absolutely right. However, I think it's worth it's worth remembering what houses in the country countryside in Sweden are like. If something is a fritidsboende, that's to, that's say a, a, a house, a summer home, effectively, yeah. mm. then it will have a very basic standard. And a lot of these houses in, in in rural parts of Sweden have very basic standards. They may not have running water. They may not even have electricity. They may not have flushing toilets, and they may not be properly insulated for the winter. There may even be planning restrictions on how much of the year you can use the the, the house for you might not even be allowed to live there year round so some of the cheaper houses you might want to read the small print and certainly yeah. should certainly visit it and check it out and if you're not happy with a composting toilet then you might have to spend a bit more money yeah i'd say under 500,000 krona you're likely to not have running water but there was there was like a five bed house completely newly renovated in a in a village in small land for under a million and I was like, okay, nice. I wish I had a million kroner. <laughs> I saw that that article is getting generating quite a lot of interest as well, a lot of people reading it. So we're up here in Stockholm. What's it like down in, in Österlen in the southeast, Richard, where you spend some of your time? I know a lot of well-to-do Stockholmers have houses there, but do you get a lot of foreign owners too? Yeah, there's definitely, there's, I'd say about two houses up the road from where we're building our summer house as we've been doing for four years <laughs> um, that there's a german there's a german who owns one of the house and so particularly in the summer you see you know there's the german car parked outside with the german plates and everything and there's loads of danes i mean there's lots and lots of danes because it's an hour from copenhagen it's it's quicker to get to Östelian, which is you know the southeastern corner of skorna it's a kind of beautiful slightly roll with rolling hills and great beaches but it's quicker for them to get there than it is to get to you know the jutland coast which is where which is the danish main holiday area and it's so much cheaper for them to buy a house there and, and and when it comes to germs, I think it's worth remembering that Denmark has a, a, an opt-out from EU rules. So, so they, lots of restrictions on foreigners yeah. buying you holiday houses in Germany. You have to prove that you Germany. have a connection to Denmark. Exactly. They would, yeah. could, because, because they didn't want the Germans to buy all of their holiday houses. That's the, the absolute reason why they, want, well, they, why they had that opt-out. Yeah. And that means that if you're a German... Sweden is, is the nearest place you can do it. But um and there's even for the Germans there's even this term Bullaby syndrome, which is maybe slightly dated, which is Germans who want to sort of live the life immortalized in Astrid Lindgren's children's books, the Bullaby books, which is you know, children running free and wild and and I think they're probably disappointed if they try and find <laughs> that in small lands, because I'm not sure it still exists. Maybe I should do an article on 10 best Swedish homes if you want to live like a child in Astrid Lindgren's Bullaby. Yeah, no can... running water, no insulation. <laughs> they they're running well. Yeah, yeah, they do. <laughs> but they do do that. They, they like, they, they like, you know, the, 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 the Germans and the Dutch and stuff, they, they'll get a holiday house and they will have goats and, and, and a horse and they'll do all the things it's, it's hard to do in Germany because it's so much more densely populated. Mm. I mean, actually, incidentally, there's this beautiful old distillery 
uh, near where we live, which in the summer, this old kind of hippie artist couple have it as a kind of really nice cafe with like cakes and freshly baked soda bread and everything. And, and a young German couple bought, bought this beautiful place off them. So I hope they're going to sell tasty German cakes and not just live in it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only place to go in the village near to our house. It's the only, it's the only place you can have a coffee. So I hope I hope that they keep it going. I mean, I think it's probably worth warning some of these uh, Germans or, or Dutch idolising the, the Swedish countryside is, is that the Swedish countryside can be quite a lonely place. It's not like the countryside in the UK where there's a pub and there's a lot of village life and there's village fates and stuff. You know, in some small towns in small lands, not much happens at all. No, absolutely. I think a lot of people that are coming from the Netherlands, from, from Germany, from very densely populated areas that they are what they're looking for is that sense of isolation and you Definitely. can really get that in the swedish countryside i mean you will probably have no neighbors um yeah. or, or very or very few of them but you yeah, know that is the downside you know my, my my ideal walk ends with a pub or at least a cafe and in most parts of sweden you're going to have to have a very long walk to get to a pub or a cafe so mm. you know the swedish countryside is very sparsely populated and any any cafes or restaurants that there are in the countryside are often open for about four weeks a year for you know sommar cafe uh, yeah. that where, where they would just sort of, you know serve for a few months a year and have some bullar in january uh, sorry in, in july they'll have some <laughs> they'll have some, there's some cakes and bullar and, ca- and coffee and then they'll close for 11 months a year it is the country swedish countryside is is very much for people who like being on their own i think also we should add that um obviously we're talking about oh it's a great time to buy and everything but obviously house prices could keep going down this is very much not qualified investment advice but it's the case as well you know the swedish countryside has for many decades faced demographic challenges that is to say people moving out and moving to the cities which is why property is so cheap yeah um and you know there are conflicting signals as to what those demographic patterns are going to be in the future obviously more people in sweden just like elsewhere thinking they can work remotely and spending more time in houses and that might have a long-term positive effect on the market but it's it's far from certain so it could well be that, you know, a lot of houses, you know, continue to be very cheap and therefore, and therefore quite hard to sell uh, when you want to get when you want to get rid of them. So, um, you know, where I, where I have my summer house, um, which is only two hours from Stockholm, there are quite a few houses there that are basically sort of falling down, sold very cheap. People don't really look after them, don't really live there and basically become become derelict because there is sort of a, still a bit of an oversupply. How close is it to an off-license? Feels like a, a key indicator for you. It's a bloody long way and it's really <laughs> annoying. <laughs> it's 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 literally, to, to get a bottle of wine, I have to drive about half an hour in either direction. It's, 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 uh, God, Sweden. <laughs> On that oh. note. <laughs> On that note. <laughs> That's it for today. Thank you uh, for listening. If you're not already following the podcast, make sure to hit the follow button in uh, your app wherever you listen to it. And our panelists today were James Savage, Becky Waterton, and Richard Orange. Our sound engineer is Reese Edwards. I'm Paul Amani, and we'll be back again next Saturday. Until then, take care. Selling a little? Or a lot. 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.